welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. It says this in John 3. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Those who believe in Him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world that we celebrate tonight. And people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and they do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. See, it's by the grace of God that God pursues us in our darkness and wants to pull us out. Even though we're stubborn and we're ignorant and we think we know better, God still pursues us in our darkness. Because he loves us. His heart beats for you. He's passionately in love with every single human being on the face of the planet. His heart is for everyone. And so when Jesus is saying, yeah, I want you to come into my light, it's not like a passive thing for him. It's, it's literally he who is love saying, I want you into my light. Don't let shame keep you out in the darkness any longer. In John chapter 1 the Apostle John has an incredible understanding of Jesus. I mean, he lived with a guy for years, so I would think he would. And he, his, the statements he makes about Jesus are so deep. It gets you inside of John's head a little bit when you read things like this. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. Right there, a whole uh, volumes of literature have been written with that one phrase. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The comedian Jim Gaffigan appropriately says that Christmas time, we take uh, the lights that are inside, we put them outside. And then we take the trees that are outside and we put them inside. He says, this is the actions of a drunk person. <laughs> cutting down a tree and putting it in your living room and finding that to be normal. But we put the lights outside, not because we're drunk, but because we recognize that we live in a dark world. And the light that we shine represents the light of Christ. Over 200 times in the Bible, the phrase darkness is used as a metaphor for human sin. That for whatever reason, people, we have a tendency to be drawn toward what we know we ought not to do, but we still do it. We know what we shouldn't do, but we do it. People are drawn toward the complicated and the painful it's not as it should be, and we're drawn to the darkness. And the light of God is saying, come to me, come to me. A few weeks ago, oh, I was driving home with my family, and as we get near my neighborhood, all the lights are out, like all the street lights are even out. And once that happens, you, you realize how dark it is. 
We're so used and conditioned. We even have a thing called light pollution. Like we have so much light around us at night. We don't even see the darkness for what it really, really is. And it was dark. I could hardly see my hand in front of my face. So of course when I get home, I push my garage door button, nothing happens. You can't get in your house. And my wife says, oh, but I'm, she's smarter than me. I left one of the doors unlocked. All you have to do is just use, it's not, it's not deadbolted. I'm not going to tell you what door it is. And we can get in. So I get in the house. And then you do this when you turn the lights on. It doesn't work. Then what do you do? You do it again. You think that's going to fix the problem. I flick it a few more times. But the lights were out. And once you're in true darkness... It makes you appreciate when the lights come back on, doesn't it? You're like, man, it feels good to have the lights back on. I don't like the darkness. See, Jesus is the light of the world. He was born in darkness. He was born in a dark place. The first Christmas was very dark. A teenage pregnancy. Very scandalous. A wedding that no one wanted to attend. Because they assumed... She had slept with somebody else. She's crazy. She has a baby from the Spirit of God. And Joseph wanted almost to break the engagement. But then an angel speaks to him and tells him, don't do that. So then the next morning, Mary had the ultimate, I told you so, that this ever existed. She said, I told you so, Joseph. But then they go and they have no place to stay. They had to escape to a town where they had to pay a tax and they knew nobody. You got to pay your taxes and you don't know anybody. Then a king, King Herod, wants to kill their baby. It's not a pretty picture, but that's how the story starts of the light of the world coming into our darkness. It's a picture of God's heart for an imperfect world in darkness. And it's a picture for a world that always wants to try to extinguish the light of of God. Like verse 5 says in John I just read that the light has come and the darkness does not even understand it. See Christmas challenges how we view ourselves. If God came to save people in darkness then it would mean we would have to admit that we are a people in darkness. People are not born originally good. We are born originally loved. We are born originally loved by God, but we need God's help. We cannot fix ourselves. We are in darkness. We need God's light in our darkness. We need a God who would roll up his sleeves and come down and fix it. And fix it. Because we can't do it. We can't ultimately do it. We need the grace. That's why it's called grace. Because God's doing it for us. We need him to fix it. Reader's Digest recently had, uh, they polled their readers, uh, what were some of the worst Christmas gifts you've ever gotten that you didn't ask for? Or they required work for you after you got it. Even worse than that, you had to do something with it. So here's a few of the things that people said. I didn't ask for it, but they gave me the gift I gave the same person last year. <laughs> I didn't ask for this gift, but I got exercise equipment. <laughs> Little passive-aggressive gift giving. I didn't ask for it, but I got wrinkle cream. <laughs> Someone's trying to send a message. I didn't ask for it, but I got a maternity body pillow. I'm a dude. I'm a dude. I don't have a baby. 
I didn't ask for it, but my, mo my mother-in-law bought me a toothbrush and a book of etiquette. <laughs> Somebody did not go to Cotillion. I asked for an Xbox, and I got a cardboard box with an X on it. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And I didn't ask for it, but I got a ball of yarn with needles in it that said, some assembly required. <laughs> See, God's response for an imperfect dark world was not to us, well, you fix it. You, you assemble it. You figure it out. No, it was God saying, I'll come down there. I'll show my light in your darkness. Even if you feel a little bit out of place to begin with, it's not a bad thing. Now, if, if you're, maybe you're not like a super religious person or maybe you're not like a church, church attender a whole lot, that's great. We're, I'm really glad you're here, honestly, truly, because I used to be there too. And when you hear this language of light and darkness and God coming as light into the world, it can sound very far-fetched and theoretical. How could a man be the light of the world? You may think, that was 2,000 years ago. What difference does that even make today? How can I know this light of the world for myself at all? What I would contend to you is that you already have experienced it and you have not even known it. Think about it this way. Many would agree that Jesus is probably the greatest person who's ever lived. We cannot escape his influence. Even time itself hinges on his life. I mean, he still is on the covers of magazines and movies and works of art and music. His influence and in the history is just paramount. Now, what would happen, though, if you pull Jesus' influence out of history? What if he had never come? Imagine a world without the Sermon on the Mount, without churches. Now, some people might actually like that. Imagine our world without hospitals, hospital reform that's done by Christians, prison reform done by Christians. Imagine a world without the Salvation Army or Compassion or World Vision, all of our modern-day universities started by Christians. Imagine all the songs and works of art, service organizations. Imagine our without the forgiveness of your enemies or turning the other cheek. Imagine there's no cross. There's no resurrection. What would happen if there's even no Christmas? And I know I sound like the Grinch a little bit. No pluplinkas. No roast beast. Imagine our world without the light of the world. And the darkness is very clear. It is very clear. It gets very dark very quickly if Jesus' light had never come. We have to stop and realize that maybe, whether we're religious or not, we take the life of Jesus for granted. That what he has done for us, we see it every day. But we take it for granted just like we flip in the lights in our house. Now, have you ever groped around in the dark? It's not any fun. Especially if you have a cat. <laughs> Because your cat will leave presents for you in the hallway, in the dark, or your dog, or whatever you have. Fish, fish are good. Fish won't mess with you in the dark. But groping around in the dark, it's not a lot of fun. It's hard. It's scary. It's unsettling. But when the lights go out and you're stuck in the darkness, you really want nothing more than to see the lights come back on. And in the chaos of our world, Silence has spoken. 
In the darkness of our world, the light has broken forth. That if you take Jesus out of the equation, the darkness of this place would be almost insurmountable. Now, a lot of times when we see that video we showed of little baby Jesus, we see him in the manger, and he's eight pounds, eight pounds, six ounce, cute little baby Jesus. We forget that little baby Jesus turned into man Jesus. Little baby Jesus turned into big, big, big boy Jesus, right? Same guy. And what we forget about Jesus, of course we know about his teaching and his life, and we know that uh, he had a, a horrible trial, that they basically framed him, and he went as a lamb before the slaughter, before the people accusing him, because he knew that he was going to die for our sins. But what a lot of people don't know is that the night he was accused and the night he was crucified, he had to be held somewhere. He had to go somewhere before the next day, right? Well, here's where he went. A lot of scholars think this is where he went. There's a pit in the house of Caiaphas in the Holy Land. Jeff, have you been there? I'm sure, Tammy, you've been there? Yeah. And this is where he was lowered 20 or 30 feet below the ground in total darkness. And there the Son of God laid in the, the bowels of the earth, if you will, the night before he would die. In mesh, the light of the world covered in our darkness. And a lot of times if you go to the Holy Land, sometimes people will read Psalm 88 while you're there at the pit. And and Psalm 88 covers this language. A lot of people think that King David, as he wrote it, the Spirit of God spoke through him. And it's almost like you're in the head of Jesus in this dark pit. It's, it's eerily similar to what must have been going through his mind. Psalm 88.3 says this, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like those who have no help. Like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. I know you thought you were going to hear this tonight on a Christmas Eve sermon, but it's all about the idea that Jesus, the light of the world, was covered in darkness. He went into that pit for you, and he went there for me. And the Bible doesn't say that from the world a light has dawned, but it says upon the world a light has dawned. It's coming from an outside source, the light of God, coming from outside of us because we can't generate it ourselves. As much as we would try and want to, we can't. We need the grace of God. We need the help of God. That's why there's, these me- there's a popular metaphor about religious belief, and it's that there's a mountain... And the top of the mountain is God, or the light of God, if you will. And there are lots of pathways that get to that mountain. A lot of people think, well, your pathway's fine, my pathway's fine. As long as we all get to the same place, everything's going to be okay. Now, there's a lot of philosophical and logical problems with that metaphor, but what if that whole idea is upside down? What if the light of God at the top of that mountain actually came down that mountain to come to us? What if the light and the presence of God, the silence and the peace of God came to recreate us, to recreate us as a people of heaven, that eternal life can begin tonight, not just the moment that we die. Charles Wesley, he founded the United, well, the Methodist movement, he and his brother John Wesley. Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns. 
I don't know what you did today, but I probably wasn't as productive as Charles Wesley was. And but it was all born out of this love for God, this love for the gospel. And he knew that the gospel is not just renovation, but that the gospel is recreation. It's God remaking us from the inside out. And so Charles Wesley wrote one of the most popular Christmas songs of all time, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We sang it earlier at the 5 o'clock service. We're going to sing the last verse right now. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the Son of Earth. Born to give them second birth. and life to all he brings. That the, the, the life of God, that Jesus encaptured the life and the light of God. And that he has come to give us second birth. This is the essence of the gospel. That he has come to save us from our sins and make us born new from the inside out. Not renovate. Human souls don't need a new coat of paint. We need to be recreated by the Spirit of God. Now, how do you do this? It's done by faith. It's simply done by praying and saying to God, I surrender. I give you my life. I believe you're the light of the world. Come into my darkness that we all have. Let's not pretend. We all have darkness. God, come into my darkness. I don't want to hide anymore. I want to come willingly into your presence. Now, some people might say, yeah, that sounds great, but... I need to see it to believe it. Now, God could show you something. God can do anything. God's shown me things before. But many times, God moves in the unseen. And some people have a problem with that. But see, just because it's unseen doesn't mean it's not valuable. Just because, just because it feels you're out of place doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because it's unseen. Think about all the unseen things that give value to our lives. It's the unseen things that actually are more important than all the stuff. I'm going to get a lot of great stuff tomorrow morning. Yeah. It's going to fall apart, but I'm going to like it for a little while. But see, unseen things like love and joy and peace and sacrifice and beauty, all this stuff, that's the stuff that goes on. It's the unseen things. Without, our lives are meaningless. So just because it's unseen doesn't mean it's worthless. Just because it feels strange doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because it feels scary to step out in faith and trust Christ doesn't mean it's not what you're supposed to be doing. See, faith in Christ is sort of like a seed being planted. At first you plant the seed, and depending on the plant, nothing could happen. Weeks could go by. Looks like nothing has occurred. But over time, this plant grows. A new life is born. There's new life coming. Now tonight, if you're not a Christian, you could hear this. You could give your life to Christ and say, this is important. I'm going to do this tonight. You could go home and feel absolutely nothing. And that's okay. That's why it's by faith. And over time, though, your uh, heart for prayer, your heart for worship, your heart for Bible study, your heart for your neighbor 
will grow and change. Something new has been born within you, and you've done it by faith. As Hebrews tells us that we, the righteous will live by faith. Just because you can't feel it doesn't mean it's not real. Now, I don't like feeling out of place, and chances are neither do you. But sometimes, stepping out in faith, you could feel slightly out of place. But God calls us into his light from our darkness because he loves us. And one of the ways that Jesus showed us how much he loves us is through communion. That when we take this bread, we remember that Jesus at that night of that Passover meal, and he took the bread and he said, this body, this bread essentially represents my body. And this bread is broken for you. As often as you take this meal, do this in remembrance of me. Remember how much I love you. Remember what I've done for you. Lord, no matter who you are or what you've done, I love you just as you are. And I have broken my body for you. And then Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the new covenant. A new covenant between God and men and women that will never be broken on God's end. Never be broken. I've come to make you whole and new, and this blood shed for you represents that. Let us pray together. God, as we approach your table, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. And help us to be the body of Christ to the world. That as you have reached out to us in our darkness, may we do the same for our neighbor. That as you have come in purity and innocence at Christmas, let us do the same for those around us. Bless these gifts, O oh God. Bless those who shall receive them. And may they know of the deep love you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the United Methodist Church, we practice an open table, which means that no matter who you are or what you believe, that as long as you earnestly repent of your sin, all are welcome to come and receive the bread and the juice. It's simply a symbol of remembrance of what Christ has done. As you come forward through the center aisle, someone will put a piece of bread in your hand. You can dip it in the juice. Then you're welcome to pray at the prayer rails if you wish. Volunteers will be in the back to pray with people. If you want someone to talk to, we'd be happy to do that. But this is a holy and reverent time. So let's take this time to, to draw near to God in prayer. So I'm going to invite those who are helping serve tonight to come forward. And uh, we will get started there.